gospel reading comes from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Let us ask the Lord, whose spirit breathed out this word, to breathe out upon us afresh, that we might have minds to receive and hearts to believe and souls to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you will open our minds, shine light in our darkness, open our deaf ears, speak your word of life to us and grant us the grace of faith so that we might truly believe and truly behold the reality of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we might live anew for him to the glory of your name. Amen. Let us hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and to his name be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, highlight certain specific details, the persons involved, a particular incident, conversations that took place, and so forth, in order to make a particular point about the events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For example, Matthew tells us about this earthquake. It's not mentioned in the other Gospels. The reason is that in his historical context, Matthew was writing for Jewish Christians, Jews who had become believers in Jesus. And these Jewish Christians, having been raised on what we call the Old Testament scriptures, knew that an earthquake signified not merely a natural geological phenomenon, but rather a visitation, a visitation of Yahweh the Lord, the God of Israel. So Matthew told his Jewish Christian community about this earthquake because they would have understood the point. It wasn't just coincidental. 
It wasn't a natural geological occurrence, nor was it a miracle of, of divine power simply so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. He could have gotten out of the tomb anyway. And in fact, he had already risen and gotten out of the tomb. Matthew mentioned the earthquake because to the Jewish mind, with faith formed by the Hebrew Scriptures, an earthquake at a critical moment in history, an earthquake signified a visitation of God for the judgment or the salvation of His people. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus is all about. God visited and shook the tomb in the power of His judgment and His salvation. Judgment. Not in terms of negative judgment. Not in terms of condemnation. But a judgment... In terms of a positive judgment, a vindication, a judgment revealing truth and righteousness, a judgment declaring that this Jesus who was crucified is, in fact, the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, and the Savior of the world. You see, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the Creator of heaven and earth shook the world shook the world with the power of His judgment and His salvation, revealing Jesus Christ as the Redeemer from sin and the King of all creation. Now, although the other three Gospels do not mention the earthquake, what they all do mention is what that earthquake enabled all of the witnesses to see. That's the point. The stone was rolled away and the witnesses could see they could see that the tomb was empty. And the empty tomb of Jesus, for the unbelieving historian, remains one of the great enigmas of history. In the ongoing war of the world against God, there are always those who attempt to explain the empty tomb apart from the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. One theory is that Jesus never really died. He was only just beaten uh, virtually to death, laid in a tomb, and then he managed to revive, roll the stone away, and escape through the, the, the guards that guarded the tomb. That's rather ridiculous on its face. Roman soldiers were among the best killing machines that this world has ever seen, and they were under orders from Pilate the governor to make sure that this Jew was dead. And he was. He was crucified, dead, and buried. Another theory is that the women and then the other disciples simply went to the wrong tomb and made up stories that they had seen an empty tomb. Well, Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish council, knew exactly where Jesus was buried, Pilate, the governor, knew exactly where Jesus was buried. And all that they would have needed to have done was simply to go to the, to, to the tomb, get the body, put it on a pole, and drag it through Jerusalem to quash all rumors of a resurrection. And there are other theories that try to explain away the bodily resurrection of Jesus, try to deny it. But the bottom line is simply this. Why would the disciples have undergone what they underwent 
if they had known that Jesus was not truly raised from the dead. What do they have to gain by proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, which they began to do 50 days after the resurrection? Why would they begin to proclaim his resurrection if they knew it to be a lie, if they had nothing to get out of that except persecution, death, torture, All of the disciples suffered violent persecution and death only because they proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord. They did that because they had seen him risen from the dead. And if they had not seen him risen from the dead, they would not have died martyrs' deaths, trusting in him. First century Jews, simply put, would not have died for a dead Messiah. If they knew that he was dead, their hope was lost, their faith was gone. And they would not have proclaimed his resurrection. But perhaps more applicable to our own day is the notion that it doesn't really matter whether Jesus rose from the dead or not, whether his body rose from the dead, because all that matters, so the theory goes, is that Jesus lives on in spirit, in his words, in his teachings. The disciples felt his love and power in their hearts, so to speak. And so they began to proclaim that really and truly he didn't he wasn't really dead, but he was still living on in a spiritual kind of way. You hear that a lot these days. You know, Jesus lives on in our deeds of kindness and love. Jesus lives on in our spirituality. Well, the problem with that theology is that the disciples were first century Jews. They were not sentimental Americans. Their faith was based on the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures, not on Hallmark cards. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus had been crucified on the charges of claiming to be the Messiah of Israel, which was blasphemy to the Jews and political insurrection to the Romans. That's why they killed him. And the disciples had hoped that he was the Messiah, the one who was going to redeem Israel. But Jesus had been crucified and laid in a tomb, and that was the end of their hopes. They were not interested in some spiritual interpretation of his ongoing so-called life after death. That kind of spiritual interpretation would not have disturbed the Roman authorities or the Jewish authorities as well. So don't let anyone tell you that the resurrection of Jesus doesn't really matter. If it didn't matter, I guarantee you, we wouldn't be here today. First century Jews were not interested in perpetuating the memory of a dead Messiah who had been crucified by the pagan enemies of Israel. The tomb was empty because on the third day he rose again from the dead. But what does it mean? What are the implications? What is the application of Jesus' resurrection from the dead? First of all, as I said earlier, the the earthquake indicated a, a, a sign of vindication. The resurrection of Jesus was a vindication of his life, his faithfulness, his obedience, and his words. The words which he spoke concerning himself. Consider this. Jesus was accused of blasphemy for declaring the forgiveness of sins. 
They said, who can, for, who can forgive sins but God? Jesus was accused of blasphemy for claiming to be the Son of God who would come in the glory of His Father with His angels in judgment on the last day. He was accused of that blasphemy. Think of this. Jesus is the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now you think about that. A man said it. And he is, in the words of C.S. Lewis, the man who said that, is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord of all. No more nonsense about Jesus being some wonderful spiritual teacher, role model, example. He is who he said he is, or he is guilty of blasphemy and deserved to be crucified. The resurrection of Jesus Christ vindicates him, reveals him to be who he claimed to be, the Son of God, in whom is life and life eternal. The Son of God, who is the way and the truth and the life. The Son of God, who came to give His life as a ransom for many and to take it up again, that those who believe in Him might have life everlasting. So this vindication of Jesus by His resurrection from the dead led to the proclamation of the gospel by His apostles. And this is exactly what the apostles began to preach after the resurrection. They began to preach that this Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead and has revealed Him to be Lord and Christ, the Lord of all. And the Lord over all. And through Him we receive the forgiveness of sins. And the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins is not something simply to make us feel a little better about ourselves. The proclamation of the forgiveness of sins is not about soothing our consciences. It's about getting us ready for the last day. Getting us ready for that day when Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living 
and the dead. As the Apostle Paul said, God has appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed and ordained by raising him from the dead. So when the gospel is proclaimed to you concerning your forgiveness of sins, it is so that you will have the assurance that on the day of resurrection, the day of judgment, you stand before the bar of God with your sins cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. A forgiveness of sins received by faith so that you can stand before the judgment of God with confidence in the assurance that with Christ Jesus as your Savior, your debt has been paid, and you stand there as His brother before His Father, rejoicing in the salvation that He has won for you. You see... Faith in Jesus Christ is the way that sinners, spiritually dead men and women, enter into a new life. A new life in a new creation which has come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because after that last day and after that judgment day, there's going to be a brand new creation that breaks forth. God is going to make a new and everlasting world. A world in which every wrong has been righted. A world in which everything sad has become untrue. A world, a new creation full of everlasting life, peace, joy, and righteousness for the people who belong to Jesus Christ. You see, God has provided a way out. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross was our Passover. The resurrection of Christ from the dead is our exodus. Jesus Christ is the way out of the old creation under the curse of death. He is the way into the new creation of everlasting life. Here it is. God Himself, the righteous judge, has made a way out of sin and death. God Himself, the righteous judge, has provided a pardon for sin and a deliverance from death and an escape from the wrath to come. God Himself has become the sacrifice for us and the conqueror of death for us. Why is it? Why is it that salvation is found in no one else than in Jesus Christ? Because only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the man without sin, Only Jesus Christ has suffered and died the substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world. Only He died that death. Only Jesus Christ has overcome the power of sin and the curse of death, rising from the dead to share His victory with those who look to Him in faith. Now let me ask you, where else are you going to look? Where else are you going to look for your salvation? Let me ask you. Do you know of anybody else? Have you ever heard of anybody else who has offered himself up as the atoning sacrifice for your sins? Do you know anybody else? Have you heard of anybody else who has risen from the dead as the conqueror of death? 
The tomb was empty. Why was the tomb empty? The tomb was empty because the power of death was defeated. Why was the power of death defeated? Because the curse of sin was broken. Why was the curse of sin broken? Because the guilt of sin had been cleansed. Why was the guilt of sin cleansed? Because the penalty for sin had been paid in full. The justice against sin had been satisfied through the death of Jesus. And the death of Jesus, you see, broke death's power. Broke the chain of sin. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead proves that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for all our sins. He died because our sins were laid on him. He rose from the dead because our sins were atoned for. And sin and death no longer had any hold on him. And here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. Sin and death have no hold on those who hold on to Jesus Christ by faith. Sin and death have no hold on him. Sin and death have no hold on those who hold on to Jesus Christ by faith. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And through the forgiveness of our sins we are restored to life and peace with God. Everlasting life which we begin to live now. Because Christ's victory over sin is a reality which begins to take place in our lives through faith in Him, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're set free from the old life. We're called to live a new life. We're called to live life His way. His way, which leads into life everlasting. This is what it means to believe in Christ. Not to believe with our heads only, but to believe with our heart and soul so that we give ourselves to this man who lived for us, died for us, rose for us, and now reigns for heaven, reigns in heaven for us. This is the salvation. This is the life Jesus now calls us to live, beginning now and ending never. He is risen from the dead. He is therefore worthy of our praise, not only the praise of our lips, but the praise offered up in the living of our lives every day. He is risen from the dead. He is therefore due our obedience. Not an obedience of begrudging servitude, but an obedience of joyful gratitude. He is risen from the dead. He is therefore due our highest allegiance, not an allegiance in name only, but an allegiance of heart and soul willing to lose all for his sake because we have gained all through him. He is risen from the dead and he is therefore Lord over all, over all the powers of darkness over all the powers of man. And he is able to keep you safe in the power of his love 
now and forever. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus.